ladies and gentlemen, welcome what to the Body guys. Slam WrestleMania Backlash post show. I am Jameis Mooney. I am an editor at Body Slam. I am joined by the incomparable, whether that's good or bad is up to you, Rami Hana. Hey. And then but below me, uh, he's piecing out on us. Nope, I'm right here. Oh, the shit. one, the only, the very peculiar. He's a strange cat. Again, not wrong. Layer short of a lasagna. Corey Brennan, our lead wrestling writer. And the man who does all of our social media coverage for live events. Fantastic job tonight, by the way. What did y'all oh. think of the show? I liked it. Personally, it was a pretty good show. I will give it that. Um, that I quit match that we witnessed tonight. Uh, I quit in the um, last it, it was during the first five minutes of the match. I, I did not want to go through and keep watching it. Felt very sloppy, very rough. It was like you're watching a um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu match. match, and that's every Ronda match. Exactly. Whenever those two are together, they suck ass. It's the worst thing you could possibly watch. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Mint your words right now, man. Mention who? Mints. So repeat that again. Mince your words right now. Mince my words, yes. We'll get to that. All right. Later in the show. I was like, are you saying Vince and Mints? I was like, bro. <laughs> what do you think, Cor? Uh, the show in general, it kind of... I don't know. It's like every time there was any real momentum up until the main event, they kind of quashed it with their own booking, so... I don't know. I, I enjoyed the main event a lot. I, I found that to be really fun. But outside of that, it was a kind of a... It just felt like it was lacking something. I don't know what it was, but it definitely didn't feel like a pay-per-view. It felt like a raw show, to be honest, to me. So for to, me... To be fair, it was a premium live event. <laughs> Shit. I'm not calling it that. I'm not calling it that. <laughs> Did we lose Jamie? I have no idea. But when it comes to the show, I think they made a mistake with putting Cody and Seth on first because they had they that's a high a a high part to follow or not a high part to follow. I I don't know. I'm tired as hell. I'm trying to think of what to say here. But when you put two guys like Seth and Cody in in the main or not in the main in the opening match you're setting a a very high bar to follow and i think that's what the whole card kind of struggled to do until we got to the main event uh going through the matches at the moment just so i can be able to pull up pull it up um i did not catch the sheamus ricochet match to be able to start it off um but hold on i'm going to the Hold on. Sorry, I'm really going to last year. It's my apologies. Yeah, I was about to say. Really I was like, wait a minute. Sense. Wait a minute. No, sorry. Google's not helping me out here. And I don't know where Jamie is. I think Jamie's um, just fell back to produce. And I'm not sure. It was a good opener. I will give it that. It was a it was a great opener, to be exact. I like the ending towards it. Like the fact that Seth Rollins... Um, But I will say, I'll put this out before I point out the ending. The... 
opening to the match. I love how every single time that Cody went for the drop back um uppercut, it kept getting countered over and over and over again by Seth until he finally just couldn't stand it and just started going toe-to-toe with Seth freaking Rollins, delivering blows to the chest, chops. It was a pretty good, like something you'd watch from his match from AEW, but it was mixed in with the type of WWE style. It, I loved the way that they carried it. I I felt it was almost better than their WrestleMania match, but their WrestleMania match was something unexpected. It was stupendous. It was something we didn't expect to happen. And so us seeing that was mind-boggling because we got to see the Stardust, you know, type of thing that pulled out. We got to see um, Cody bring out some old moves and we got to see the ending almost get recreated um, at the very end of that match until Seth countered it with that knee. But the ending, I loved that Seth, of course, being the um, bad guy he is, tried grabbing onto the tights and Cody saw it as fair game Rolled him back up, got the pin, and is now two and zero against Seth freaking Rollins. So, go on, Jamie. I'm sorry, my stream cut out on me in the middle of my. You're fine, buddy. Notification. So for me, and I'm going to tie this back in. The show was heavily primacy recency bias for me. I really enjoyed the first thing I saw. I really enjoyed the last thing I saw. I did not care for much in between, but. At least from a psychological public speaking standpoint, that's something as performers you want to hit on. Always start with something great and always end with something great. And that's what people are going to remember. So overall, I feel like I did enjoy this show. Uh, The opener. Let's give props to my boy James Gibson. Best producer in wrestling. Never got the love he warranted as a wrestler. Um... Tremendous, tremendous talent and mind for putting together pro wrestling matches. Even in the WWE style as a performer in the early 2000s, his Ring of Honor run is so underdocumented for how good it is. He was the producer for that match, and that was the best match of the night. That was probably the best match I've ever seen Cody have in WWE, uh, dating back to his first run. I really enjoyed all of it. Um, I thought certain things were great. I really liked how when Cody did the drop down uppercut that he didn't connect the first time. So they built to the spot to the spot that he does every match. So you didn't know when he was going to hit it. The match is far less cookie cutter than a lot of Seth Rollins matches and a lot of Cody Rhodes matches because I appreciated the fact that Rollins did his transition to the Falcon Arrow in a different position then the superplex. I thought that was a nice touch because you you know it's coming with the superplex. It keeps you on your toes as a viewer. It keeps you invested. You're not seeing the same match over and over again. I like that after he hit the disaster kick, he went for it and didn't hit it again. Um, overall, I thought the ticks that they hit were different than their usual ticks, and I really appreciated that. I really liked the... Uh, I thought the... Superplex into the crossroads should have been the finish. I am not a fan of Seth kicking out of multiple crossroads, back-to-back premium live events when you're trying to reestablish Cody and his finisher. You're not protecting the finisher out of the gate, and I don't think that's conducive to a long-term match pacing for Cody. But I thought 
Otherwise, the match was near perfect for me. I like that the finish was turnabout's fair play. It gives Seth a gripe going into Hell in a Cell. I like that Seth didn't win because I think they do 50-50 booking too much. And if Seth doesn't need the win, and if you're serious about rocket strapping Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes shouldn't be losing anytime soon. And I and it still gave Seth a gripe for a rematch at Hell in a Cell, which you can have the blow off in the cell. And I think Cody should win that. So overall, I thought this match was great. Um, I missed all of what y'all just said. So if y'all I, actually, said, I actually said the exact same thing you said about how the drop um the move that Cody does drop back uppercut that he goes for um usually occasionally in his matches how Seth kept countering that over and over and it got um Cody frustrated where he had to go for the chops go for blows anything to be able to stop the momentum of Seth and also I pointed out the fair play where Seth was trying to hold the tights of Cody's and it countered on him and resulted in Cody winning to take a two and over him that I will bring this up. Do you see the WWE going with um because I feel like WWE would, but do you see them going with Cody versus Seth a third time um in a hell in a cell? Like absolutely. Um after last year's event with uh the Saudi Arabia show. Actually, that was this year. Whoa, Edge and Seth, right? Edge and Seth. I think you have to put Seth. I think Seth, I'm going to say it. Seth is a top 10 wrestler in the world. And he's closer to number one than he is number 10. I think he's by far the best, most consistent talent that WWE has right now. Um, but his, he might be the most underrated performer in the history of Hell in a Cell. We talk about the classics of Mick Foley, which... Anybody who's ever spoken to me about McFoley knows I adore that man. And for good reason, I'm not going to go into that on this show. But he's one of my favorite people. He's one of my favorite performers. Uh, his match with Triple H is my favorite cell match. His match with The Undertaker is obviously iconic. That shot of him taking the chokeslam through the cage with the chair, driving the tooth through his lip is one of the most devastating things you'll ever see. but And, of course, Edge has a good number of classics. The Batista match, the uh, Seth match again, the Undertaker match. Triple H has a wealth of really good variety Hell in a Cell matches. Seth Rollins does not get the love for how good his Cell matches are on a consistent basis. And I know that's a hot take because of The Fiend. And... Which is not a good match, granted, but that match he had with Dean, pardon me, John Moxley, who's Dean Ambrose years ago, is probably the best cell match of the last ten years. Um, the match um, he had with Edge earlier this year is in the conversation too. He has a good base of cell matches to build off of, and I want to see more of what he can do. In that environment, just not with the fiend. <laughs> his cell um, match, his cell match with Kevin Owens also was a really good match as well. Though. I forgot about that. That's a that solid match. match too. That like, match is probably the best example because there's a couple of moments in that match where you see there's mistakes, but because Seth is such a professional, so consistent, he 
like there's small mistakes in that match. I remember at the time, like there was a spot where Kevin Owens came on to set shoulders awkwardly and Kay only fell off his shoulders mid spot, but set deadlifted them basically from the ground back up into buckle bottom position and threw him through a table. And I think that's perfectly encapsulates what you're saying about Seth being a brilliant performer inside Hell in the Cell. Because... And that, my friend, is what Bob Ross would call a happy accident. Mm. I'm not huge on botches in wrestling. I think a lot of them look bad, but I think a lot of them get an overabundance of flack because a lot of times I think they add to the match as long as the professionals recover because it adds to the struggle and the sense like that spot right there. I think that added to the match. Um, but I would, I would love to see Seth in that environment more. I think he excels in that environment. And I think you're going to have a big match every year from raw and a big match from SmackDown, unless you do Lynch Belair again, which I don't see them doing. I would be fine with it because Becky also has a great number of cell matches. The, Sasha Banks cell match that a couple years ago was incredible. It's one of my favorite cell matches. And I don't think that match and its creativity gets the love it deserves either. But I don't want to see Becky Lynch in the title picture anytime soon. And the most marquee match other than that you can get out of the cell from Raw is Seth Cody. And they've feuded long enough to where it's not exactly preposterous for them to be in the cell i don't think it's personal enough but the smackdown women's championship match tonight wasn't personal for an i quit match and i didn't stop them so i'm not going to be angry at that um i think drew versus roman in the cell is the obvious main event but i think cody's uh south is the other cell match this year i don't think um uh, Drew and Roman matching the cell is really warranted. I I understand why, but we all know what's going to happen. Even if it is, it's not going to be a clean finish. Even though it's in Hell in a Cell, we'll know right. the bloodline will somehow get involved. Heyman will somehow get involved. Something's going to happen that that's not like. I don't see Drew winning that championship unless he wins it in the UK at the Cardiff pay per view. Because uh, Corey, what were your thoughts on the? To circle back to the match, what were your thoughts on Cody and Seth tonight? I I think the finish for the end of that match was... I I like when faces have a shade of grey to their ledger, if that makes sense. I do too. Becky Lynch always had that as champion, and it made her more interesting. There's... there's like I witness this every show i've covered lately with wwe it's always on the commercial for wwe evil and paul Heyman says it best do you find good guys entertaining no you don't it's it, being too good becomes stale we've seen that with cena we've seen that with range we've seen that with hogan we've seen that with basically any top face in the company eventually the popularity Except for becky lynch yeah. every top face recently seth rollins found that struggle during his Universal Championship run. I think part of the reason why Becky hasn't had that problem is because she's just so damn likable outside the ring. Like any interview she has, she comes across as a likable talent. 
and she's not really had any controversies whatsoever, whether it be about injuring someone, whether it be about comments outside the ring or anything like that. She's just a really, she's a brilliant um, ambassador for WWE. I don't think there's a better mic worker, and I think that helps because it's hard to cut a good babyface promo. And Becky Lynch is one of the best babyface promos ever. But I also think it helps that her, by the time her booking started to get a little iffy, she left for a year and a half, which helped a lot too. Um, but for uh, Roddy Piper said uh, something along the lines of, there is no Hawkamania without Roddy Piper. Because the whole thing with Hawkamania was they wanted, with the first WrestleMania, was they, people didn't pay to see Hulk Hogan. They paid to see Roddy Piper get a stale kick by Hulk Hogan. And I agree, faces need that shade of gray because you never want to root for somebody who, it's hard to root for inherently good because it's hard to stay inherently good. And the top faces, Steve Austin always had that shade of gray. Randy Orton. I don't. Randy Orton also. I can't yeah. think of a really good Randy Orton face run. No, and I love Randy Orton. <laughs> no, but, it's just even. I I don't mean it, and it's a great thing. I just mean that you can see it in the way he performs. That yeah. it's just he's so likable. Like it's it's almost. But even then, like, he was RKO and other faces during his face runs constantly. Like, he RKO'd Riddle and smiled and the whole arena just grinned and cheered for him. Like, it takes a lot for a, a performer like Randy to get any real heat. But it he's, he's kind of had that kind of shade of grey, even when he was a heel at times. Yeah. It, and I think that's mainly because he's his style and the RKO and everything is just so, so, I don't, it's just everyone loves the RKO. I don't think I've ever seen a person complain about the RKO as a finisher or it's overused or anything like that. Everyone loves a good RKO. Well, except maybe. <laughs> never bored one will never be top. But, um, so I think we're on agreement. That was probably match of the night. From the sounds of it, I don't think it was match of the night. I think huh. it was probably the best in best match in terms of technical wrestling, just great chain wrestling, great moments and all that. But I found myself a lot more invested in the main event. That's fair. But I, like when Orton caught Reigns with the RKO, I, I, they sold me. They sold me down the river. Yeah, I you genuinely were my Orton uh, was about messenger freaking out. But because I genuinely was invested, and at the end of the day, I was a lot more invested in the main event than I was the Cody set match. But I feel like, like you said, if that match is in Hell in a Cell, I I would be very much invested in that match solely because one, we've never seen Cody, and wait, we have seen Cody in a Hell in a Cell match, haven't yes, we? Yes, yeah, legacy against DX, legacy, yeah. very but, but very it, odd Hell in a Cell match, but. This one, then, it would be his first singles one. It's after years of doing crazy matches on the and independent. And we know Cody likes to bleed. Yeah, he also likes to jump off things, just like Seth. So that's a good... I good hope he doesn't jump off the cell. Oh, no. 
No, guys, right? Hear so... me out. The one time set hits the Phoenix Splash, it's off the top of the hell himself. <laughs> oh, I wanted to hit on that. Because I, that, I thought about that. Because we were discussing that the other night, weren't we, Corey? How yeah, he hasn't hit the Phoenix Splash since uh, his independent days. Yeah. I love it's... that they tease it. I love that they make it a big deal, his indie moves. He's only hit the paroxysm, which was his indie finisher, once or twice in WWE. Uh, he's only the only time I remember him doing gods as a gift, an independent signature move of his, was against Balor at SummerSlam for the Universal Championship. Like, he makes those moves that people remember feel special, and I appreciate that. But eventually, he's going to have to hit the Phoenix Splash at a big spot so that it doesn't lose the novelty of is he going to hit it? Because I feel it already has. Like, I just roll my eyes every time I see him miss it now. Because why is this character still going for that if he hasn't hit it in 10 years? It's a fun move, and it's a fun spot to do it all because Seth does is Because Seth's just very, like, he's very electrically gifted, He not only in terms of wrestling, but just as an athlete in general. Like, everything he does is so smooth. And when he does try to hit the Phoenix Splash, it's not like he's landing on his face or on his back. Yeah, he's landing on time- his feet. The first time he did that after the injury in 2015, oh. I was like, oh, no, please don't blow my journey again. I'm but pretty he, sure he did do it against Reigns in that Money in the Bank match, and he sold the knee, I think, doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, Seth's really good. To move on, the next match, I was actually surprised by how much I enjoyed it because I expected it to be a complete train wreck. Instead, it was just a train wreck. <laughs> was Omos and Bobby Lashley? I I don't even I don't even know what to I say really, about the match. I'll say this: I like the program that they're going with, and I do like how they're rolling it with you know how Omos is getting this pretty good push. It's not like a well title push or a mid card title push, but it's you're beating Bobby Lashley, a former world champion, a former mid card champion, a guy who's won at WrestleMania. Um, how many times now? He's like a four-time world champion. If you count the ECW, count the ECW, yeah, 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 exactly. And to have MVP be that guy for Omos is good because I'm not trying to diss Omos's talking skills. I haven't watched a lot of it. Of his promo skills, they're not good. They they probably aren't exactly. So having MVP, that guy who helped Bobby be able to promote himself, a guy who helped guys like Cedric and Sheldon during the Hurt business be able to bring themselves up as well, having that for Omos is good. And plus, if you kept him with Bobby, and then Bobby goes into like this whole like like the current phase when he's going with MVP, despite him being lovable like by the crowd and everything, is better as a heel. He's better when he's helping the bad guys, like what Corey um, went on earlier with the evil trailer that they always run for the Peacock. Uh, do you like bad guys? Um, whatever it says, of course not. But <laughs> I, I botched that. Thank you. But um, it's good to have bad guys, and it's good to have Bobby help Omos, and he has helped Omos. Both at Mania and tonight's match, they both have looked really good for themselves. And that's all because they're working their hardest to be able to put both men at not at the top of the main event because it'll be quite some time before almost even reaches there, even if he does try to reach there. But it's good to have a guy 
like MVP and Lashley help out Omos and to be able to um broaden the future for the WWE and build up stars as much as possible. Yeah, I like that they're building somebody up. I don't like the choice. Um, Omos has a presence, and I'll give him that. He has mm-hmm. a damn good presence, and sometimes that's all you need. Uh, but oftentimes with somebody that big, it's just awkward for anybody to work with them. And it's harder for them to learn their craft because they're at such a disadvantage fundamentally. And I see that with Omos. And that's not a knock on Omos. I actually like Omos. I think he's very likable. I just have not been impressed by anything I've seen other than him chucking dudes around, which is why he was the perfect heavy for a weasel like AJ Styles. Um, I thought the match was better than I was expecting, um, which it was a pretty low bar, and that's coming from a big Bobby Lashley fan. Um, uh, it's always impressive to see Lashley lift a man like that. Uh, I thought the I thought the can I I I trash WWE's camera work a lot, so I'm gonna give him some praise here. Credit where it's due. I loved the camera angle with MVP's interference at the end. I thought it hit it well. Uh, heading into the spot, just really good stuff all around. Um. Other than that, I don't have much to say. I, Bobby Lashley doesn't need MVP anymore. I think as a, I think the whole point of putting Lashley with MVP was, was Lashley wasn't as comfortable as a promo as he is now. But I don't think that's why they put him with him. When they put him with MVP, he was in a cut angle with Miro and Lana. Oh God. I forgot no, about that. They established him before you push him. And obviously they had plans to push him. And putting him with MVP immediately reestablished him. And I think that's why you put him with MVP. Not necessarily the promo. Because Bobby cut decent promos even when MVP was with him. Um now MVP can help somebody uh acclimate themselves to promos uh because we know mvp is a good promo oh yeah i think i think that when it comes to almost yeah he needs mvp a lot more than bobby does but i think that the main issue that i had with that match was the finish I understand why they went for it. They want to keep Lashley looking as a threat and they want to make it more. I think I think we might end up seeing those two in Hell in a Cell. Oh, as no. weird as that sounds. I as would weird not as like that, that sounds. I wouldn't like it at all, but I have a I have a small feeling in my stomach. I just thought of it. And it just feels like such a like if you're going to recreate old cell matches or pay homages and you're going to destroy the cell and break out of the cell, why not do a callback from when Lashley broke the cage against Umaga? Or was it, who was it against? He broke yeah, the cage. It was Umaga. It was a steel cage match on ECW. Uh, at the time, Lashley, Vince was trying to get the belt off Lashley, so he created the stipulation that if he can't beat Bob Holly within five minutes in a cage, he would surrender and relinquish the championship to Bob Holly. Oh, yeah. So 
He beats Bob Holly to a pulp. Umaga, who was his opponent like two weeks later at WrestleMania, surrounds the cage so he can't get out. So he jumps through the cage. The cage lands on Umaga and he hits the floor with like 10 seconds left. That's one of my favorite spots, like involving a, like breaking a cage or a cell. Like there's last year different... looked so explosive doing it, and that helps too. They it, time this. You can kind of see if you watch it back because I've watched that spot a lot. It lives rent free in my brain, like a lot of wrestling spots. You can see that cage kind of breaks early. Yeah, uh, on the bottom. If you look at the bottom of it. But it's close enough to where you keep, where you have to look for it, which helps. Like it is obvious that the cage breaks early. But this is the thing. This is the thing that I always that we were just we were talking about about with botches and stuff like that. When things like that happen and it doesn't look perfect, like it looks awkward. It it doesn't look like it's been gimmicked basically it wrestling. looks like it's just pure accident or it, it just it grounds a, a spot in reality i feel when it does wrestling isn't ballet smooth. wrestling yes. shouldn't come across as this refined recital no like it's very you need to have it, it feel somewhat authentic which is why i depending as long as nobody gets hurt i don't necessarily mind botches um, depending on the botch. Um, but, um, yeah, that match was what it was going to be. I don't want to waste too much time on that match. I feel like we've already wasted a little too much time on it. The next match, a much better match than their WrestleMania match for me. I felt the pacing on the, the WrestleMania match wasn't bad. I just felt watching it in real time. The pacing was way off and never kicked into that gear that it should have. And then that's why it kind of fell flat for almost everybody that I talked to about the match. Thought it fell flat. I thought this match was better, Edge versus AJ. I, I to be honest, I think they booked it beautifully. I think the entire match was perfect. I loved, I actually found Damian Priest coming down to the end of the ramp. I actually found that to be like, oh, Look, I found a loophole in your contract. And that's what that felt like to me. And I actually like that. Because ringside is just ringside. where he was gesturing to. And then it, the funniest part about all that to me when I was watching that match live was the referee in that match when Balor and Priest got into the ring. You it was Jessica Carr, wasn't it? Yeah, she just keeps going like this over them, and like, like she's just she starts bunny hopping she's as well. She's the best. She, she, she was brilliant. I like, I found it hilarious, but it was really fun because she was clearly like just very animated, and I like when referees have are aren't just drones. Like the AEW referees all have. Like not, they don't all have characters, but you know their names. Off, you know their names. You know what kind of referee they're going to be. Like some of them are were more likely to throw out heels at ringside and stuff like that. And I just think the more the more character you can give the third person in a ring, I think the better. So that was obviously fun. Um, but in terms of the general match, like I said, um. I think they're building towards Priest and Edge against Balor and 
styles, obviously. But that's a match that could, we could... I, I want Balor to join that stable. Because, first of all, as a face... We're talking Balor, Judgment Day, correct? Yeah. The, the stable is called Judgment Day. Now, I, I, I'm not very over the moon about the name. It feels a bit too... Too... Pay-per-view. Not even... <laughs> It, it it fits the gimmick, don't get me wrong. It just feels a bit cheesy, but the stable in itself, I find it to be a good idea. I especially found it to be a good idea the way that David did Rhea Ripley. Instead of her just randomly backstage, just joining Edge, she not she jumps on the apron, pulls Styles down. She stood there with her hood up, just didn't even move after she uh, did her running. And She's then got after, a perfect presence. Yeah. And then she then when the match cooled over or everything was done and Edge was just in the ring, she drops down onto one knee and bend and bends the knee to Edge. And that's the thing that I th- I really like about this stable. It's very clear that Edge is only in it for himself, but he's willing to drag these these people in with him. Like a court. That, that so it's I think it's definitely interesting for Edge. It's a new thing for Edge. And I think he's doing well with the gimmick. I It's just missing that something. And I think Rhea will really help with that. Because like you said, Rhea has such a big presence. Not only like in the ring, not only a ringside or anything like that. Even on social media and things like that. It'll just help, I feel, the stable grow. I feel and we I, discuss this every Monday. But yeah. for me, and I think you've gotten to the point where I think you told me, yeah, you're right on this. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I... the edge, I love the new music. I love the new look. I love the aesthetic of him on the throne. I love everything they've done changed in Edge's presentation, except for the fact that Edge is cutting the same promo with the same cadence, with the same tick, with the same character, with the same style, that with the same mannerisms that he has since he turned heel in 2005 every week. It does not fit that for me. And I hope someone like Rhea changes that aspect a little bit. Because right now, it just feels like the rated R superstar going through a midlife crisis when he opens his mouth. One thing about that character that I do enjoy, and I don't know if you guys see it, but... Beth Phoenix, anytime anything happens to Edge and this faction, it's brilliant. She No, not Rhea too, I think is what she tweeted earlier when that happened. And I I love it. I love that she's committing to it and helping add a bit of, a bit, just ground it a little. Because when you see those tweets, you're kind of like, oh, well, that's that's fun. It's like, but, it's like Renee uh, randomly tweeting whatever Max does something stupid at Bloodsport. <laughs> Mox Mox gets covered in blood, and Renee's just like, "Well, that's exactly what I expected to happen." I will say this: I wanted to point out the first match at Mania between Edge and Styles was it was good, but it wasn't how tonight's match was. I feel like a lot of people expected their first match to be like this killer, like five star match. When it was when we got like we got like a, a pretty good like a like a taste of it. Somewhat. A solid passable match. Exactly. Just not what you expect from a dream match between those two. 
And then this, and then tonight, we got a pretty good fucking match. I will give it that. It was, it was solid. I like the way that it went. And I liked how Priest came in and like how Corey was mentioned earlier, pointing at the floor, like I'm not at ringside just yet. And then you have, you have Finn come behind him and just, um, what do you call it? Try to beat the living shit out of him. I will say this. I would like for the WWE, and I feel like the WWE will do this, book um, Judgment Day, of course, with Rhea Ripley against AJ and Finn with Liv Morgan to be able to set up a big six-man tag and get though get all six of them um, with their feud going. It, it creates more star, star power, and it creates more fans enjoying the match because we can see AJ, Finn, Ed, Priest, Ripley, Morgan. Everybody loves them. So to be able to get a match like that, I feel like it would give WWE a big boost for a match called in the future. So my takeaway from this match, and this is my takeaway from every AJ Styles match for the last 20 years. How good is AJ Styles? (laughs) Very good. AJ Styles is so good that he, like, it's not, I think it was a case of when AJ, when Edge and AJ were, scheduled to face at mania or when edge basically threw down that gauntlet everyone wanted it to be aj everyone was praying it would be aj because obviously aj had been in team almost for the last i don't even know how long they were team a team for but for a long time aj was just like you said a snivelly like he's a weasel mind is heavy (laughs) yeah but uh, (laughs) but then again tonight we got we get we've seen more flashes of it. My I said it in my coverage, but the setup for the first size for the size clash where he hung him up on the rope because his arm was hurt. That was one of my favorite spots. That the night. uh the way he covered him to while not when hooking the leg and still selling the arm yeah. was great. That was stuff I was gonna hit on. Like people have talked about how AJ's become mid, and I don't think no. it's fair. Because 20 years ago, you're not going to get the bangers he had with uh, Paul London or Jerry Lynn 20 years ago. He's 45 years old. But you're still going to get the best match of the night or the second best match of the night every time he's out there. Um, You're going to get the best psychological match of the night every time. Because he is a generational talent. And I don't think it's fair to go... He's become mid when he's better than every 45-year-old I've ever seen. I actually did not know he was 45 years old. and uh, He may that- not be. I, I just threw a number out there. To me, that sounds about right. He is 44 years old. He turns 45 on June 2nd. So, yeah, 45 years no. old. The fact that people are saying AJ and mid in the same sentence, it, that's crap. How could we say we say that when he's almost about to be 45 and he's still putting on stellar matches? We're still able to see him week weekly and monthly put on amazing matches against people that we didn't think he'd be able to put amazing matches on with, with them. But because he is phenomenal, he's able to go in there and put on matches that we can look back on and say, hey, he might have been 45, 44, 43, 42, however age he is, and he can still lace up his boots and kick ass and show us a good time for the entire night. Yeah, that man can't hit a spiral tap anymore, but you know what? His work's got, his psychology has gotten better, so he makes up for it in different areas. 
like, mic work has also gotten better as well, in my oh, opinion. Anyway. Early, early AJ Styles, like pre New Japan AJ Styles, is not a good mic worker. Are we his talking like work. PWG, like, or his, his, primarily his Impact? Because that's where he got the most mic time. The best, the best moment, the best moment I'd say of AJ Styles' career, character-wise, he didn't even speak a word. No, no, no. Oh, I, I, I wouldn't moments. even say that. Uh, w- there's one moment when he was in TNA that genuinely I could go back and watch the clip a million times, and I'd still get goosebumps because I watched it live when it happened. And it was, was it the when Dixie promo. No, it was the evil. It was the. It was when he joined Main Event Mafia to take on uh, Aces Nates, came out the evil ways, and then it changed. And then mid-entrance, it changed to get ready to fly. And uh, he turned back yeah. full face. And don't get me wrong, and I think a lot of people, and I think, Jamie, you'll agree with me on this one, the evil ways gimmick was probably some of AJ's best work before he yeah. got to uh, Japan or WWE. Yeah, and I think we—I ha- don't think we've really scratched the surface on how much star power AJ has, just because of how good he is in the ring. Like everyone loves watching AJ Styles wrestle. I know people say he's mid now and all that, but like you said, when you watch an AJ Styles match, it's gonna be one of the matches of the night, no question, no two ways about. It. He's just that consistent, and it's the same way with Seth, like you said. These guys, people are just like so used to them wrestling 10 minute matches on Raw or on SmackDown, and they're just not used to these guys putting on bangers. And then when and they I'm do put on bangers, everyone goes to that point. And I've mentioned it because I've mentioned before you took over on Twitter, uh, I used to talk a lot about how guys like Billy Gunn and Matt Hardy are the most important people in, in AEW because these young kids like Private Party, like the Gun Club, who only worked the Indies, never, have boys. Worked, never worked TV before. And working TV is a completely different animal when you have five minutes as opposed to 25 minutes every night. And yeah. guys like that, letting them acclimate themselves to television were integral to the development of AEW. Before AEW, there there's not a company who regularly put on 30-minute television matches. And I think we've gotten lost in the traditional sense of how good television matches are because of that. Um, Rami, I think you might need to mute your mic for a second. Oh, okay, give me a moment. <laughs> that was a little awkward. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. There was a weird like. Yeah, I muted uh, mine to see if it was me. Yeah, <laughs> I saw you do that. And Rami, unmute. What's good? Yeah, you're good now. There's just there's this weird static coming from the oh, mic. I don't know what that it, was. It was probably just you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's hard to have consistent t- television bangers and within five to six minutes, and you're not going to hit every spot in those matches. But I think we've kind of lost sight of that. 
the next match, and we're kind of getting late here, so I want to hit this now because I know we're going to all three going to have a lot to say about it. We might just gloss over the match after it, even though I love yeah. Riddick Moss. <laughs> um, the next match, I'm going to start us off. I know I tweeted something out, and Robbie's emoji did not have nice things to say about this match. It's well documented. I don't like Charlotte Flair or Ronda Rousey. Oh Lord! I don't think they have good chemistry. And I roasted that match with Ramen. Did we? Did we do that show mania? Was that the night? Yes, we did night one. Yes, we roasted that match night one of WrestleMania. Yeah, we did not like it. They don't. Charlotte doesn't. Um, I had a lot of issues with this match, and there's actually a lot of things I liked and didn't like. Uh, the tweet Rami, I think Rami quoted was on the figure eight. I hate the figure eight. Um, I hate a lot of Charlotte's offense. I've always hated Charlotte's offense, but the figure eight is by far the most egregious move in wrestling because it looks very tacky. Uh, it looks like it doesn't hurt at all. It doesn't look authentic. It doesn't look snug. I don't like that move. They, uh, the entire match was built around Rousey working on Charlotte Flair's arm, correct? The left arm. Mm-hmm. So she works on the left arm so much, and they do that arm bar spot where they try it to sell you awesome. on. She almost tore the, which I think that spot looked good. That's one of my praises of the match. Uh, they, they try to sell you on that. Her arm was so damaged she can't use it. And then she bridges her entire weight on the arm. Her entire body weight just bridges on the arm a couple minutes later, and it makes no sense. That move is a move that does not make sense if you work on Charlotte's back, leg, or arm at any point throughout the match, especially when you work on it that much. I think it's the worst move in wrestling. I think it's by far the worst finish in wrestling, and it takes me out of the match every time because it makes no sense within the context of a professional wrestling match. Not to mention, the figure four doesn't look like it hurts anyway, but when you t- when you put the figure eight in the bridge, um, it, just looks it goes away from silly wrestling logic to the with the way her leg bends, it doesn't look like the opponent's legs are actually wrapped around it. So there's no pressure whatsoever. It does not look good. I think it's an awful move. And the, sorry for that rant. That was really big on my mind tonight. Um, but, uh, Corey pointed this out to me and he's right. Anybody who's ever spoken to me about Ronda Rousey knows I can't stand the woman as an actor, actress. Uh, anybody who knows my favorite actor knows that she was in a big blockbuster movie with my favorite actor and I hated it. Oh my God. Don't even, if I have to talk about Expendables 3, I think I'm going to have to leave. I don't, I don't like Ronda Rousey's acting, but I'll give her props tonight. The the way she sounded exhausted on the first time she grabbed the mic made it believable. Uh, she, and then compare it to how mundane Charlotte sounded. Charlotte, Charlotte sounded like she didn't want to be there, and sure. it didn't come across well. And I think Rousey won me over in this match a lot more than Charlotte did as somebody who's not a fan of either. Partly because of that, uh, you could tell Charlotte was going through the motions. And then 
Another thing, I know Corey's going to hit on this because he also pointed it out. Well, I, I thought of it when I saw it. My immediately thought was the spot. But how can you build the story on Charlotte's never tapped? And then specifically do a callback to a spot where Charlotte tapped out for a championship. I don't know if you can hear me, but that's me headbutting my Wait, table because I'm that so done with the shit. Was that spot um in the crowd when Sasha The Rail, had, yes. Yeah. When Sasha Banks won the False Count Anywhere match. Which I remember I think that. this spot looked good tonight. I actually like that. Was Sasha's first championship? No, win? it was her second. Or second. The first one was in the center of the ring on Monday Night Raw. Which she also tapped out it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. If you're gonna make it if you're gonna make like if <laughs> I'll let it, you take this one it away. Makes, it makes no sense. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if you're gonna, uh, if you're gonna at least lie to your audience and you're gonna try and convince them of something that isn't true, don't. Like, I don't get it because a, a couple of weeks ago on SmackDown, they did uh, they did this segment where they said I think it was Cole said it that Charlotte never tapped and it was during like a. I can't even remember the segment, but immediately following that segment, they aired a Sasha Banks promo. And guess what was in that promo? <laughs> Instantly after that moment, within 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds, within about 10 seconds of that promo starting, Sasha taps Charlotte twice. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. They think we're idiots. We're not just, oh, it's just. Uh... It's, just, it, it, it's so insulting. It's so insulting to a general audience to say, like, just lie to our faces, shove the lie in our faces, and then it just doesn't make any sense. But like you said in regard to the match, I, I like I said to you during, during after the finish, one thing that I actually saw is very promising for Ronda is the way she protected Charlotte's arm during that exchange. I agree. I thought the finish looked really good. That was my biggest takeaway from the match was uh, I didn't like the match. I think I verbatim told you. I didn't like the match. I loved the, the finish. I loved I loved the finish. I loved I, – I, to be honest, everything Ronda did outside of throwing punches, I, I liked. I loved the fact that they did a lot more of her step up uh, her, because, with like, like I said in my coverage, I don't get why they don't lean heavier onto her judo background. You have Hook l- dropping dudes on their heads on Rampage and Dynamite every other week, and it's an over move set. Fans like watching it, but we I only will see. Say- Rousey kind of started piling up the body count on injuries when she was doing that a lot, a lot more in her first run. It's a lot harder to work a judo throw when your muscle memory tells you. I, I understand that, but she if you look at who she hurt, she hurt Alexa. Alexa Ruby, was one of them. Ruby Soho, I think, was one of them. Ruby as well. But that's two uh, very small girls. When it comes to Charlotte, Charlotte's not gonna like. I don't know. Like Charlotte's tall, she's built well. Like I don't see her being thrown around like that 
being bad. Like it's the same with really any. She's awkward when she's stunned around though, because her bumping is really weird. Her bumping's not good. I think we discussed that too. Yeah, I, one thing though that I noticed tonight was uh, someone posted on Reddit, or I actually think someone posted on Twitter, um, Serpent Serpentico when he takes a back suplex, he covers his neck like this, yeah, holds it like that. And Ronda did the exact same, uh, like John Chris is great. Yeah, so she she went like that, and when Charlotte Germaned her, she landed directly on the on her arm, so she was protecting herself like Serpentico does. But the thing is, when you do that, it means that you can land obviously harder on your back and on the top yeah. of your neck. You're not good. You're supported. It's not going to be lead to an injury. And it adds a sense of realism to it as well. If you know you're going to get dropped on your head, you're going to brace your fall. So, yeah. I, again, I like that. I genuinely, this match was probably Ronda's best singles match for me, period. Solely I, because of the stipulation. The Sasha Banks match was by far a lot better. I, I thought I th- I agree with you in the fact that it's a better wrestling match, but I find when uh, someone like Rousey, like Lesnar, it's a promising performance from Rousey. Yeah, if if you're gonna put someone who's this phenom, you're booking this person as a phenom. They very rarely lose if at all. The great equalizer is stipulation matches. Give the person who isn't as skilled a weapon in their hands, and then suddenly it becomes believable that they might win. Like in the lead up to WrestleMania 32. Dean Ambrose, Brock Lesnar. Some people actually thought, me included, that Ambrose could possibly win because it was a stipulation match. And I think you're that... just a you're just a boxing stand. No, but like you get what I mean, though. I do. When there's when, there's, when you have a phenom like Rousey, you're booking her like a monster. She's throwing people around. She's tapping people out. She's breaking arms, doing whatever the hell she wants. Basically, you need to have these matches where these wrestlers need weapons to take on this fighter and then you that that also adds more to that realism thing that we keep talking about the more real it looks the more real it feels the better it is as a fan to suspend yeah, this your disbelief match is very hit or miss on realism there was a spot the biggest standout spot for me and it took me out of the match was charlotte gets thrown into the timekeeper's area Takes a really weird bump where she doesn't actually bump so that she doesn't have to land on her front. Which again, awful bump person. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a good Charlotte bump. But after that, Rousey comes and goes to hit her. But Charlotte hits her with a boot, which means Charlotte was standing up and running towards her. Why was Rousey going to ask if she quits if Charlotte was running towards her? It I wanna, makes less than zero sense. I want also, to point. Charlotte kick, kicks, uh, goes to kick Rousey, and Rousey swings the chair at her. But Rousey gets damaged with when the chair hits Charlotte's ankle? I wanted to point out one thing. Ronda's armbar sucks. I cannot stand it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the many few people who hate it, but 
whenever she does it, it I, I've watched plenty of jiu-jitsu and MMA fights, tournaments, all that. And when you see an armbar be put into place, it's like Corey knows this. Charles Oliveira, when he locked in on Tony Ferguson at UFC, whatever pay-per-view, he was about to snap that man's arm. We were about to see a full snap arm. When Ronda does it, she's trying to make it look real, which I understand. But the way that she does it, I no one's ever seen someone do like that in MMA or in jiu-jitsu tournaments. I know in general. that is, Corey and I discussed loss. this ad nauseum in her first run, because this was a point of contention a lot for us before Corey soured on Rousey. It's it's not that I soured on Rousey. It's just it became very clear to me that she wasn't like I I think when she first made the crossover, it was kind of like a honeymoon period where. No one was expecting her to be in any way, shape, or form even passable in the ring. And then she did well in that match at Mania. Then she went on her singles run. She took the belt off Bliss. And it was kind of, and then everyone, it was building and building and building to Becky and Ronda. And then when Charlotte got shoved into that, and then I uh, just, I just didn't like, I, I think it was I think that match. first run is overrated. Uh, the Bliss match was what it was. It hit her flaws. Just let her run through it. But the the Jax matches aren't good. Not Rousey's fault because Nia Jax just wasn't good. But Terrible. the Bailey match on, I want to say Christmas, Completely was dreadfully yeah. boring. The Natalia match on, I want to say New Year's, was the most boring match I've ever seen. I think the Charlotte match was sloppy. And people only give it credit because it was better than they were expecting. And I think the honeymoon period on both of them together has soured. And people are realizing that. Um, outside of the Banks match, which was really good. And the first match, which was really good. But again, that's Triple H and Kurt Angle. They're not going to have a bad match. And they knew what ticks to hit. They knew what flaws to hide. She didn't really have a memorable classic match i don't think her first run was good at all but i remember in her first run we would argue a lot about how bad the armbar looks and Corey always made a great point that if she applied a legitimate armbar she would legitimately snap everybody's arm and you can't have her do that but at that point but at that point and this was always my counter argument don't have her finisher be an armbar let the finisher be a piper spit the problem with that, though, is everyone knows her for one reason, fighting. What's the, what's the one thing everyone knows of her? The armbar. She armbarred everyone. That's how she won every single MMA fight she fought, except Betch Correa, but no one no one cares about Betch Correa. Um, <laughs> we were talking about that the other day, too. No. Just, but one, thing, one thing about Ronda, and this is the part that's really, this is what really made me sour on her. This is what really pissed me off. It was the it's the fact that she is how how long would you say her runs combined have been now? What would it be about two year years and a half. roughly? Year yeah, and a half on TV. She's been faced for most of that time. Bri- briefly, tweener with the Charlotte Becky feud. I I I don't even know why they did that. And since she returned, she's been a babyface, and not a single heel has turned and said. Well, you lost in UFC. How are you going to beat me? It's such a simple way to get heat against. If Holly Holmes beating your face, Ed, 
Like, I don't care. Amanda Hall Nunes is a great fighter, but she's not a top of the line UFC fighter anymore. I'm sorry, like, but there is, there is I'm shocked no, you know that. <laughs> there is no reason, there is absolutely no reason why a heel would not do that. Like, Alexa didn't do it. Becky Lynch did it on Twitter, and, and, and Rousey got offended by it. It's it's stupid. It's so dumb. If you're going to be a, a wrestler, you can't just pick and choose what people get to use to try and garner a reaction. Yeah, there's certain things, obviously, we don't like there, to see There's a say. lot that three of us could talk on a Ronda Rousey podcast. Yeah, which and probably... And none of it would be positive. <laughs> But we're an hour into this post show and we still got two matches to get through. So let's put yeah. a pin in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the next match. My boy Riddick Moss getting the pay-per-view win. That's things I like to see. I love my boy Riddick Moss. But there wasn't much to talk home about in, overall in this match. <laughs> he got the win. I, I will say this. It's been entertaining. I I like I like Corbin's matches. I I don't know if how you guys feel about um, Corbin. I like Baron Corbin more than the average person too. But I don't I, love him. I don't I think don't there's him. not a memorable I, Baron Corbin match. My issue with Baron Corbin is I'm going to tell a story. Okay, I have a bunch of Baron Corbin stories, and Corey loves them, but it's not one of the ones he likes. I don't even think I've told him the story. The one that I, the one that I like is still the best is the best because it's just a Baron Corbin story. But like I I, I can imagine the exactly grocery store you, one. I can just imagine. I can hear the sigh that you told me about. I can hear him just going. <sighs> um, I'll tell you that story later, Robbie. I'll probably tell it on a future podcast. But I went to a house show right before the pandemic, and the on the show was Roman Reigns versus Baron Corbin. I looked at the person I was with and I said, I'm going to call this match move for move and let's see how I do. I did not miss a single move. Every move I said was the next move and I did not get one wrong. That's that. I can believe that because his matches are just always the same. Roman Reigns at the time, this was pre heel turn. He was very cookie cutter as well. He's not now, but he was back then. If I can call, I like Baron Corbin, but if I can call your matches move for move, how am I ever going to get invested in any match? Natalia is the same way. That's my gripe with Natalia. I don't think good workers have the same matches every time out. No, I, 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 you know I, how what, how I feel about Natalia as well, Jamie. We've had arguments about Natalia before because I genuinely think she's the most overrated woman's wrestler. We've had arguments about that. I, other than Trish Stratus, I don't think there's a more overrated women's wrestler ever than. Natalia. I think her going down to NXT to feud with Cora Jade is a terrible idea. I don't agree with it That's whatsoever. That's for a different but, podcast. Yeah, we, yeah, different to... different podcasts. But back to Corbin and Madcap Moss. Moss was all if all this match was to do was just to. I don't think it's going to be the end of the program, which is a shame because it was a filler match. That's what yeah, it was. It, he won via roll up. Was it a roll up? I don't know. I didn't even yeah, see the finish. Sunset flip roll up. Yeah, well, he got the win. Like you said, Corbin's matches are kind of always the same. And one thing that I will say that really, really up, not even upsets me, but frustrates me with Corbin. He probably has the best signature finisher combo 
for a big guy. Oh, end I of days and deep does. six. End I of think... days and deep six are both amazing moves. I love how he hits both. I of love them. how end of days is very He's explosive. I love his slide out, slide back in move. I don't like that he does it three times a match every week. I don't like that he doesn't have any kind of ring gear whatsoever. He just wears whatever the hell he wants. Hey, those button ups he, he wears, I would rock them any day of the week. Those look every that week beautiful. That surprise look. me. Hey, pump the brakes, pump the brake, speed racer. Speed racer, that's more innovative than the damn I called Robbie earlier. Calm down. Oh my god. This is what happens when you get three dudes who really like talking into post show. We just so, talk about everything and everything. So I was at a bar the other day. And, what were you uh, doing in a bar? Uh, story for a different time. But I was talking to this uh, guy, and he's like, and he just kept going, I like this kid. Give me another drink. And he just kept drinking. And the bartender looked at me and said, I need you here every night. I know you really have become a Seamus stan over the last few days, but you don't need to be going around to pubs trying to fucking find them, Jamie. Hey, I've always been a Seamus stan as long as you've known me. It's just now become a meme. No, no, no. Can't, no, no. But, That's someone so, who should have been on tonight's card, to be honest. Um, the main event. I have a lot to say about the main event. I know you two do as well. Who wants... Um, who? Uh, actually, I'll start it off. So, I thought this match was laid out perfectly. It's one of the best six men I've ever seen. Um, I still don't like that it was a six man for the main event of a pay-per-view. Um, I think that putting all of your champions in a six man is lazy. But regardless... The match was really good. There's certain spots. I, I'm wearing a Drew McIntyre shirt. I've been a Drew McIntyre. Corey can attest to this. I've been a Drew McIntyre stand since before his first release. Yeah. Um, I think Drew McIntyre is one of the most underrated performers in the world in terms of fan recognition as to how good of a bell-to-bell worker he is. I think his psychology... Is second to almost nobody. Just small things, man. The small subtleties in his work, and I was tweeting about it. The way after that Claymore, he and Roman Reigns laid for a couple of seconds. The crowd, you could feel the crowd got into it. Less is more. They they started to come unglued because they were excited to see, oh, when's it going to happen? The it let the drama, the intensity build. No. The moment Roman Reigns tagged himself in, miscalculated on Matt Riddle's hot tag. Just the sheer intensity of Drew McIntyre staring him down is why Drew McIntyre is one of the best performers in wrestling today. It's a bit corny, and I and I said this to you as well before while the entrances were actually happening. I didn't like that the sword at first. I thought it was a bit like, you're never going to use it. But the issue with the sword, sword is if you have a sword, why wouldn't you chop people's head off with it? Yeah, <laughs> but see, see, I didn't like the sword. And then he cut the rope about WrestleMania, and I was like, that's what I'm talking about. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It, it it shouldn't work, but it just, it, it, it I like it. I think there's an intensity that Drew McIntyre brings that another rest, no other wrestler in the world brings. And that's an important aspect of professional wrestling. Corey, 
there's two wrestlers, and both of them I'm going to tie in, that I always go to as my two greatest in-ring performers of all time. Who are they? Because you should know this. Shawn Michaels. Who? Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. No, not Shawn Michaels. Really? Surprised you got that wrong. Trip? Kurt Angle. Oh. Do you know I... how much I talk about Kurt Angle and break down his work? Come on, man. Not as much as the other two. I that, never that, I didn't about know Shawn Michaels. I, 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 I genuinely don't remember ever having a conversation with Kurt Angle with you, Bar, whenever he appeared. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to have to... Yeah. Maybe it was Nick, because I talk about that with Nick and Trent a lot. Um, You'll get that right later. Uh, Now I have stuff to show you. So, Bret Hart. Greatest of all time at making things look authentic, feel legit. And a great friend of the show, his name's Joel, was in my Twitter replies. Great friend, his actual name on Twitter is great friend of the show show joe mcintyre he's great guy great friend of all of our body sam shows he tweeted i know ftr and punk get most out most of the credit and deservedly so but you can also see how much drew studies bret hart's work and i said something to a friend of mine i love dax harwood if you've listened to any of my like the ring of honor post show i talked about how i think he's the most underrated wrestler on the planet right now I love CM Punk. I am a huge CM Punk mark. I am over the fact that every single thing they do, Twitter takes as a Bret Hart tribute, even though not everything they do are Bret Hart tributes. Like They do a lot of them, but not everything is. The wrestlers that tribute Bret Hart subtly, there are two of them that I've noticed for years, a lot well before Dax and CM Punk. Drew McIntyre, and Becky Lynch. And I tw- and that's a great tweet because I replied, his match pacing is very Bret Hart-esque. Bret Hart had the best match pacing of anybody I've seen. Bret Hart always looked like he got gassed toward the end of the match, but he always he never was gassed. He always knew exactly when to check that tired box and he progressively got more tired throughout the match. His body the way he sold, if you go back to, let's just throw a match out there. Owen Brett at WrestleMania 10 has gotten a lot of Twitter love. So let's use that match. If you go to Bret Hart versus Owen Hart at WrestleMania 10, late in the match, he has Owen in the sharpshooter. But because he's so tired, he can't hold on. Owen doesn't break the sharpshooter. Owen gets to the ropes and Brett falls over onto his hip. And then later that night, he wrestles Yokozuna. He doesn't wrestle a normal Bret Hart match. He wrestles a tired Bret Hart match. Like, the pacing just makes sense. Drew McIntyre has similar pacing, which I wanted to point out. But I also tweeted, you can see his Bret mannerisms and his moves. Uh, For example, when he does a suplex, he throws his feet up in the air. That There are three people I've seen do that. Dynamite Kid, Chris Benoit, who directly emulated the Dynamite Kid, and Bret Hart. So I think it was a stampede wrestling thing, because Bret and Tom Billington. But Drew's always done that. That's straight from Bret Hart. The way he kicks up his legs on a suplex. 
the, the, the original tweet was about how he hits the turnbuckle. I tweeted out that I love the way McIntyre hits the buckle. The jump he does always looks good when he's whipped hard, and it makes it look more explosive. He's so good at the small subtleties that work for a guy his size. I'm ready for another Drew run. Brett didn't do that when he would hit sternum first, which is what the famous thing is. But Brett would always kind of jump, throw his feet up when he hit back first, and then fall onto his knees when he hit back first. He hit sternum first a lot more, which is why people don't remember the back first bumps as much. But that's another Bret Hart thing. Like, I think we've had I think we've had conversations about like that exact thing, like being Irish whipped into a corner and selling like, that. A lot of people go slow more than I do, so yeah. maybe that's why I pick up on these things. Other people aren't don't really pick up on with Drew, um, but uh, the other name I mentioned, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle is the moment he walks does anything, you believe it. Because he is that intense. The intensity is a big part of professional wrestling. And there's not a more intense performer. And this is why he's easily one the top two performers of all time. Is you believe in everything he does. Because of his presence and the way he carries himself. Drew McIntyre reminds me of that in that sense. Of the way he carries himself. His presence. His intensity. And the way he just carries himself. For example, uh, Royal Rumble when he won. The way he stared a hole into Brock Lesnar did more for Drew McIntyre than any move Drew McIntyre could do. And Drew McIntyre is a great athlete who has a very well-versed arsenal. But just the way he looks at somebody does so much for him. Tonight, when Roman Reigns tagged in, the reason it was believable when Roman Reigns went, oh, I made a mistake in his mannerism is because Drew stared that much of a hole into him. And you could tell Roman was about to... was about to uh, just kill him. Yeah, there's... And, like, sorry. Go ahead. No, no I, I was just going to say that, um, just more on the intensity and realism and stuff like that. There's something that I noticed in this match. I've noticed a lot with Drew matches. Whenever he hits the Glasgow kiss headbutt for a split second, it's not it, you have you don't really notice it, but he does a slight head it shake. It, it's slight head shake, but it depends who he does it to. If it's yeah. someone who's a big star and he headbutts them, he kind of stumbles a little. But if it's someone like Jimmy or Jay, he does it and he just he just stares a hole through them while they're stumbling around the place doing if chicken. If they legs. have a bigger head. Why wouldn't it hurt you? You're exactly. exerting all of your force into their head, and it's two hard heads colliding. It's going to hurt both. It's going to hurt the one that has the more force going into it more, but it's going to rattle you a little bit, even as the one delivering the move. I like that. That's a great little thing that Drew McIntyre does. There is not a wrestler in the world today that does more little things that add to their work than Drew McIntyre, and I think it's time... We start putting respect on Drew McIntyre's name as one of the be- absolute best professional wrestlers in the world. His entrance also helps with his intensity as well. I I went I typed it I typed that out to you while he was doing his entrance, but it's it's the build to it, it, his it's everything about Drew. 
everything about Drew draws you in to, at the start. Because when he comes out, that like everyone, I remember when he first when he first debuted the team he uses now, everyone was like, Oh, where's Broken Dreams? We miss Broken Dreams. But Broken Dreams broken wouldn't fit this character. It doesn't. Do it not at all. I think his current theme, and I think when he there's a, a moment when he walks out onto the stage before he lifts the sword, and you can see him doing these big, big, deep breaths, pumping himself up, and then when the music kind of hits its peak, he lifts the sword, the pyro comes out, and he when he did that tonight, it's one of the loudest pops I've heard from for him, and I think. And I've been writing a lot of stories this week about how the reaction to this storyline has been. Drew versus Roman, the Bloodline and RK Bro, like everyone is invested in this storyline. And it's because everyone in the storyline is doing I'm brilliant. going to put this comment on screen and I don't really want to pick on the person, but I'm about to. Oh God. So I'm going to apologize now. This right here is my issue with the tribalism of professional wrestling. Because Kenny Omega, I'm going to say it, is the number one wrestler in the world. It's not close. He is very good. And I tweet, I tweet, if you follow me on Twitter, I tweet a lot of clips about Kenny Omega's subtleties in his work and how good he is. The same thing I was just doing for Drew McIntyre. But if I say Drew McIntyre, it's time to start putting respect of him as one of the best wrestlers in the world. Doesn't mean that. There's no reason to bring up Kenny Omega. Like, what does that have to do with anything? We shouldn't have to tear down one wrestler, tear down one wrestler to praise another. You're right. I wanted to bring up something that you brought up in They're the beginning. They're two completely different workers, by the way. For the main event that you brought up about um, it being a six-man tag, I liked it being a six-man tag because. If they were going to do this winner takes all tag team match, I did not want it to be at WrestleMania Backlash at a premium live event. I feel like it should be at a pay per view where we get that hype, we get that bigness. I don't know if it should happen at Hell in a Cell in a Hell in a Cell match, but they they can go down that road and set that up, and then we could also get Drew versus Roman. But the thing is, I don't see Drew winning the championship until. They go to um, what's the event? Cardiff. Cardiff. Yeah. Um, if they're able to go there, but when does that happen? September. September. When? Also, I'm going to. Speaking of Roman Reigns, before I forget, I'm going to praise a lot of the subtleties Roman Reigns did tonight, because there was a spot in the match. I hate this spot, and it's every wrestler across every promotion for like ten years now. Does this spot where when somebody's diving on the outside of the ring, they stand there and they take it. Kenny Omega does a really good job at not doing that and finding ways to fill time. So does Al Fantasmo. Those guys have good subtleties in their work. I'll always go back to the little things. But tonight, when Matt Riddle hit that floating bro, it was kind of obvious that Roman was waiting for it. Then Roman picks up. I want to say Jay Uso, Jimmy Uso Jimmy, yeah. by the hair and start slapping him silly to try and get him alert before Riddle jumps. And then they don't look up when Riddle hits them. 
Yeah. So instead of just waiting for Matt Riddle to do the move, he found a way to incorporate the guy standing next to him and make it look legit while still being able to safely catch Matt Riddle. And it makes that spot look so much better. Yeah. So props to Roman Reigns for how good that spot looked tonight because that was sensational. I think Roman did a great job tonight again. I think Ro- I think the spear that won the match, it was actually ironic, James, that we were talking about it beforehand, that the best spears. Because that spear that he hit Riddle, it looked like he put him into another spears world. It's all about how the person takes it. Like when, yeah. when I think of the best spears, uh, you think of, I think of a guy like Nunzio getting broken in half in the Royal Rumble by Bill Goldberg. And then that's coming from somebody who's not a Bill Goldberg Oh, fan. my God. But God, if you, if you go back that to that, Nunzio jumps into it and Goldberg carries him. If you go back to the Goldberg spear everybody loves on uh, Christian, uh, right at the night after Backlash 2003. I may be wrong on the date. Um, the way Christian takes it. Spears aren't all about how you take it. If you take it to the side, it's not going to look good. If you kick your legs up as they connect with you, it's going to look like they broke you in half. So Matt Riddle deserves a lot of credit on how he took that spear too. Yeah, Riddle, Riddle, I think, is one of the most underrated in the ring period on the WWE roster. I think he's got, the, I think, a match that would be amazing. And Rami will understand why I'm saying this, but Matt Riddle and Tom Lawler, if they ever cross paths, I would I believe they have. It would be amazing. Have they? They have yeah. for sure. I don't think they have because when Riddle was on the Indies, I'm pretty sure Lawler was still in the UFC. So didn't they I'm fought? I think they fought in the UFC. Yeah. Did they? They had I, a match. I, 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 they absolutely had a match because they wrestled at MOW Never Say Die. In okay, well, I'm going to have to watch. Yeah, well, and they also did a Beyond match, I believe, around the same time period for one of the uh, dark, I, one of the tournaments because Beyond does a lot of the tournaments. I believe it was the Darkest Timeline tournament. Yeah. So they've had at least two solo matches. And I believe, and of course, I know they were on the Indies together. Because the Filthy Bros were attacked even um, oh. beyond as well in 2018. Okay, well, I'm an idiot then because I'm supposed to be an MMA and a wrestling writer and I didn't know any of that. Um, but it, it, that's, that's I'm one an, I'm an indie guru. <laughs> Which reminds what? me, you can watch our Indeed with hosted by Mike Hamley. Be sure to check it out. He's doing a sensational job and putting a lot of work in. He has an interview with Cole Radwick coming up. Just wanted to plug the guy because he does good work. Continue. But more on um, Riddle. Jamie, we've had conversations in the past about wrestlers, or not wrestlers, MMA and wrestling crossover. For the most part, it's not always great. We, we look at Ronda, Marina Shafir. They're for not- me, the best crossovers, for the most part, I think... Guys like Shamrock, Lesnar, they were pro wrestlers first. So their Mm. muscle memory is more pro wrestling than it is MMA because they had to fight off the work work aspect and make it into a shoot as opposed to the other way around originally when they crossed over. And then they crossed back over. So they were already seasoned, knew what to do. Uh, Minoru Suzuki is another one like that. 
but just to just to like bring it back to the match, Riddle in I thought Riddle was actually the unsung hero in this match. He he had a lot of high impact spots that he needed to, that helped build the crowd up. And taking the pin doesn't really hurt him. Matt Riddle's uh, was tailor made for professional wrestling, especially since his character. The pin doesn't hurt his character. He has a character where he's at all. He, he's happy all the time and it's passable and it's fun and I love that the commentary are having fun with it as well because at one point Pat couldn't speak I I can't remember what he flubbed his words and Cole just says did you get into Riddle's stash Pat or something <laughs> like that and I just giggled like an idiot because it's so dumb and I love how much fun Randy is having Randy is the best partner Michael Cole's had since Taz yeah, it's and because they both have fun. Those two, those two guys specifically with Michael Cole, you can tell how much Michael Cole enjoys working with them, and it takes away from the. It's it's very Michael night Cole and day. Feel. It's a, it's very night and day difference between the Raw commentary team and the SmackDown commentary. I think team. I mentioned this to you uh, when we appeared. Have I been forced into? just being so used to what Michael Cole says that the way Jimmy Smith announced no, uh, Rhea Ripley uh, threw me for a loop. Jimmy he said Smith it like a game show him. host. Yeah, but that's just that's just the way Jimmy, like uh, when he used to commentate for Bellator, he kind of did the same thing. It's funny, actually. There's a, I'm not going to go into a detail on this story, but it's just to explain what Jimmy is like as a commentator. Uh, Stefan Bonner is a former UFC fighter. He brought... Yeah. There was this big over-gimmicky pro-wrestling style thing that they did at Bellator one day where Stefan Bonner basically brought a dude in and was like, this guy, this guy, you threw him in the trash. The guy he was fighting, I can't, I can't remember the details of it, but it was just all pro-wrestling. And your man had a hood on, took his hood off, and Jimmy Smith said his name basically the same way he said it tonight. So it's it. I don't I don't know if it's just Michael Cole for you, but Jimmy, it's not unusual. The cadence of it felt weird yeah. for the moment. I yeah. guess is what I was trying to say. I I I was wondering because I don't like a lot of Michael Cole's calls on stuff like that. The oh could it be? It yeah. is. Oh my! It sounds like I don't it sounds like. like it. It sounds like he's a brawling buddy. It sounds like he's a brawling buddy and you're pressing him and that's his catchphrase. It's just a soundbite. It's better better than his uh, 2000 soundbites when he would say, not this way on every clean heel victory. (laughs) Well, while we're on that topic, early 2000s, Eddie cheated. (laughs) Oh, that's Taz's best call. I love that call because it encapsulates everything that is Eddie Guerrero and why people love him. The Eddie cheated and Taz isn't surprised, but he's a little taken aback. Yeah. Uh, I just hate, and I'm going to throw this comment up here. This is exactly what it is. Every Michael Cove call is manufactured. I agree with that. That's That's a fair statement. I think Michael Cole is a good announcer, but he sounds manufactured. Uh, he doesn't sound like genuine, and I don't necessarily think that's his fault when somebody's screaming in his ear. Doesn't help that he's partially deaf as well. But 
and I like Michael Cole, but I like that Jimmy Smith didn't sound manufactured. I just thought it came across a little odd. I think with Cole, the big thing with Cole is he's having fun now. He's having fun with his calls. You can hear it in his voice. You can hear, you can tell just by how much he's laughing on broadcast now. I love this version of Michael Cole. Probably like it, I constantly am praising him and McAfee because they're just they add a completely different thing to the broadcast when it's a fun conversation. They're laughing, they're joking, and probably one of my favorite calls that. Cole did tonight was when Orton got the hot tag and he said, I haven't done this in a while. I'm, and he, you could hear him getting giddy and Graves just turned around and was like, oh, I'm not going to step on your toes, Cole. You can say it. You can do it. And he did the vintage Orton thing, but he did it with a laugh. So it doesn't feel manufactured. It feels like he's. It doesn't like feel like he's saying into the drop zone every time Finn Balor kicks somebody in the corner. Or reading a script, reading a script as Shane McMahon is lying crippled on the floor for the love hey, of somebody, mankind. somebody just put that in the comments. Yep. Um, that's, but, that's, uh, that's yeah. So I'm going to throw another really random reference out there because this comment is pretty much showed something for me. The uh. That's not, do you remember, and this is going to be a very random reference, I'm sure nobody's going to remember other than me, Old Judgment man. Day 98. Never watched it. Go watch that show, specifically for the main event. The main event's not even that good, but you know what's really good? The presentation of, it's the best Undertaker entrance by far, and the presentation of it. And Jim Ross on commentary, building up the Kane versus Undertaker match of why it's important. Um, As Undertaker, I believe it's his first time with the ministry music, the music that would become the ministry music when the ministry was created. But he's walking through fire. The bells, the bells, the bells dong as the fire's coming up. And every time Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler you can hear the their voice get frightened a little bit, which makes it sound natural. While Undertaker's just walking through it, but as Undertaker's on like the stairs, he's like, "If you're ever going to be anybody in this game, at some point you have to wear that gold." And the way Jim Ross and his cadence just builds up throughout the Undertaker's entrance is the best entrance commentary I've ever seen. But that's what the difference is between night and day commentary. It doesn't have a big match feel. It because of it's not doesn't feel organic. You felt Jim the the natural Jim Ross call and everything he said on that entrance. And I highly recommend going back and watching just that entrance because it's great. Um, but like on the entrance. The, we, like I said, you could feel, hear where Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler would get frightened uh, when the fire would come up. There's one time Undertaker's halfway down the stage. They weren't expecting the fire. The, the most extraordinary man of all. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, he reacts to the fire instantaneously as if he wasn't expecting it. 
Like, that's the difference between the commentary nowadays is they won't hit on those nuances of an entrance because they have to hit their point that they hit every single time. I, I I get what you mean by that, but I feel like I it's feel a stretch like of an example. I know. I and I'm not saying it's a stretch. I I just I disagree with your theory that it's not the same anymore. Because I, if anything, I'd say that Pat McAfee probably takes that to a whole another level due to the okay, stories we've heard Pat about McAfee. in backstage. Pat McAfee the other night, I popped big when he was like, "Is that Jamie Noble?" Like, Pat McAfee doesn't care, and Pat, doesn't that's care. the reason SmackDown's commentary's gotten so delightful, is because He's Pat, the audience surrogate. That's why I said the thing. He's the audience surrogate commentary. What I mean He's by that is, us. before Pat McAfee, Cole and Graves were the exact same as Cole, as Graves, Saxton, and Jimmy Smith are now. Yeah. It's otherwise, other than Pat McAfee and Nigel McGuinness to an extent, all WWE commentary is the exact same, no matter who it is. Uh, I, Tom Phillips was trained to sound like Michael Cole. I forget, Vic Joseph is trained to sound like Michael Cole. I wanted to say one thing. I did like the entrance commentary. I don't know if it's the same like a Friday, of course, but I did like the entrance commentary when CM Punk at Money Bank of his final night, the way um that Jerry describes the crowd. I'd have to go back and watch it. Man, I just... Miss- that entrance is the best. I miss this Firebirds. I much prefer the Kill Switch song to the Cold song. To the I, I like the way that when Jerry's talking about it, he says it's like the Super Bowl and the Chicago Bears in Chicago. Yeah, that's happens. a great call. And, that's and a the way call. and the way the pop the way the crowd is the second hit, CM Punk's music hits, the crowd is screaming at the top of their lungs like it's the final time we're gonna see him, and then. He's sitting in the middle of the ring and they're popping and then Cena's music hits and they turn into a roar of booze. If Dude, Cena wins, so Ruby I have Riot. tickets to Forbidden Door. My flight is booked. My best friend and I are going to Forbidden Door. We're also the sitting snaps, with... Uh, the snaps you were sending me were hilarious. We're <laughs> also, oh, are you trying to get tickets? Yeah. That was an arduous process. We're also You're sitting so with... Uh, I got those I'm too. sitting with uh, Kyle... Sparks of the Code of Honor podcast. Be sure to watch their episode tomorrow. Kyle and Kylie do a terrific job. I'm going to plug all my podcasts as the host comes up. Amazing job. They're they're terrific. Um, I made the logo. But uh, what? I said I made the logo. (laughs) And the logo kicks ass. But uh, that's the thing I'm most excited for is – being in the crowd for a CM Punk Chicago entrance. But we've, I think we've covered everything. Was there any other points y'all wanted to hit on? Because we're at 90 minutes and now we're just talking about random entrances. I, I, I was going The last uh, thing to add um, about the main event, I do, I feel like this. This is just my own like, type of prediction theory, booking, you know. I feel Drew can beat Roman at SummerSlam for the championship. And they don't set up a rematch until because I don't think that's what they're going to do. They and will. then they set, they set up the rematch in September at Cardiff. And you have Drew get that pop. That's money. That's what rating. What you can do is have Drew, Drew win the Universal Championship at SummerSlam, and then the Money in the Bank winner cash in, and then Roman go try to get the WWE Championship back. So you can kind of bide your time 
and kill some time before he circles back around to Drew because he would go to the guy who screwed him over first before the guy who beat him straight up. And then that's your easy out for getting both belts off him and waiting on the Drew rematch with it still making some semblance of sense. Hear me out on this one. Jay Uso, Money in the Bank winner. That could be interesting. Uh, that would be that would be wild. I would I'm not be able to predict that. Split. I've been ready. Yeah, um, I, I I think it'd be interesting because I I never really understood the way that I I never really liked the storyline that they ran where it, like the storyline wasn't good. Everything. It made no sense. I st- I st- yeah yeah I've ranted about the Roman Reigns storyline on multiple podcasts here, and I love like, Roman. Uh, I don't like this character. I don't like the story arc of the character. I think there's too many logical holes with literally every opponent he's had. But that's we don't have time for that. Rant he's faced everyone. Me. He's faced everyone. He can't, and not a single person has benefited from it. Why? Why is Finn Balor? Why is Jay Yusuf no longer interested and no longer upset and no longer interested in his cousin? Why is Finn Balor not upset he was screwed out? by the ring breaking why is kevin owens not upset that they didn't count the 10 count while Reigns was handcuffed why would you can go down the list of opponents why hasn't seth gone back around to the championship when he won he won the match he won the match and he doesn't want to go go get a rematch it it makes no sense and as a viewer Everything this story's done just insults my intelligence. I don't like it, but that's again a long rant with a lot more meat again, for a different. I day. agree with you on that. I agree with you on that because Roman. I love everything about Roman. His character. His. I do too. I love. I love the way he carries himself. I love his ring work. I love his cadence now on the mic, which was always an issue before. Yeah. And one thing I will say about entrances and modern commentary, I know we kind of went away from that, but I actually do like Michael Cole's calls on Roman's entrances. I think it's Mike. Big dog. I, no, <laughs> not that one. Never that one. But I just, I just mean you were saying that. <laughs> that JR and King and Lawler made the, uh, matches feel big fight feel. I think Cole was a good did did a good job of that tonight because Graves was kind of I I don't even know Graves was kind of off in that match, but I felt Graves, Cole is, and Matt, he Graves hasn't been Graves in four years. I think he is the most overrated commentator right now. Live it off reputation, but I think it's again, a, thank you. Yeah. Different rant for a different day. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure both of you agree with me anyway. Yeah. Yes, I do. Um, Rami, where can we find you? Plug your stuff. On Twitter at who else but Rami. You can find me there for all my tweets about the most random bogus things. I was tweeting about hockey today. Didn't understand a thing about it. But you it was good. Hockey sit with me, which, by the way, I'm tweeting a lot about hockey right now. I'm a Nikki. I'm I'm from Tampa Bay. I'm a Nikita Kucherov stand. So if you like the Lightning, follow me. Anyway, continue. Um, 
but yes, you can follow me on Twitter at WhoAltsForRami, um, where you can find all my um, stories um, for Bodysam.net. You can find all my random tweets and my Twitch streams. Everything you can find is right there. Follow it. Plug. Corey, Mr. Extremist, our sensational, our fabulous, incredible graphic designer. I'm gonna give him a bitch Where can we find you? Cheek. I, I'm honestly so tired, or not so tired, I'm so wired after doing this post show and watching that pay-per-view that I'm probably going to do a couple of designs, to be honest. You should probably watch that instance from Judgment Day 98. <laughs> if I had the I WWE Network, I might, but... <laughs> Peacock. Peacock. He's, no, he's it's, no, it's still WWE Network over here. Oh, really? Uh, you guys are Peacock. I'm still got the OG. Well, yeah, Peacock has suits. We win. <laughs> Fuck. It's really hard to flip off a camera when you're not actually looking at the camera. Yeah, but all I'm saying is Amanda Scholl is a lot more entertaining than anything in pro wrestling right now. I'm a Katrina Minute stand. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I might have something here that I can. Yeah, I don't. Screwdriver, Lou. Bonk. <laughs> uh, so, we, you can find Corey because he didn't answer the question. At Corey Brennan, Body Sam. Do you still have your extremist shop? Because we'll plug that if you do. Uh, my channel? Or what do you mean? You, you used to have an extremist shop. I don't know. Oh, no, Maybe. I don't have that anymore. Okay, well, you, you can find him at Corey's Brennan BS. I really got a lot of BS. That. Oh, screw you. <laughs> when, I when I first saw BS, I did not know it stood for Body Slam. I was like, this is some bullshit. Like, I told I like, him that. I knew, it, I knew what it was that I told him that. It probably well, I needed to change it from extremist, didn't I? I don't for think so um you can also, he does our live coverage for Body Sims Twitter. He does a great job. He's about to start a UFC podcast with somebody else in this video. That way. That, that way. That guy. That way. Um, this guy. Be sure to follow him. He does a, he does a phenomenal job. That's for me. Amazing. Oh, he is our lead wrestling writer, too. So if you like the influx of news we've gotten. Go give him a follow. He's kind of earned it. I'll never kind of earned it. Really kind of earned it. How many stories have you wrote recently, Jamie? Hey, I'm exactly. the editor here. I, I I have to review your stuff. Really? Because you haven't reviewed any of my shit, and you know you haven't in a long ass time. So don't you dare. I, I got told. I got told I can publish my work, so I make sure my stuff looks beautiful. I still review it. Cass I I glance over everything. Um. I'm an editor at Body Sam. I cover news for Body Sam. I produce some of our podcasts. Um, I have a lot of podcasts coming up, so I'm very excited for that. Um, Busy man. Uh, you can see my interviews I've done with talent on Body Sam's YouTube channel. Uh, specifically, my New Japan series was really good. Um, follow me on Letterboxd as well. Follow me on Letterboxd. Yeah, follow me on Letterboxd if you want to what? see me review. You would a make a plug of... box. Hey, he mentioned it. If you want to see me review all Betty Davis movies, follow me <laughs> on Letterboxd. <laughs> uh, I like it. But uh, 
Other than that, I co- I've covered sports for seven years. Right now, I'm focused specifically on the Tampa Bay Rays beat, and it's baseball season. So follow. Go Dodgers. Hey, I'm, man, I miss Freddie Freeman. Well, I'm going to say I miss Greg Campbell, too. I, I miss Kenley Jensen, but, hey. I'm a yeah. Braves fan, so. I, I miss Kenley with a passion. Even though he's um, a lot of the games. But, what did you say? Uh, White Sox. You're okay. a White Sox? Oh, yeah, you are a White Sox. I can respect the White Sox. Red Sox, I would have to block you. I would, we wouldn't be friends if he was a Red Sox friend. But, uh, but, uh, so yeah, follow my work. Uh, at the Jameis, I tweet a lot about pro wrestling. I tweet a lot of clips. Like the other day, I tweeted a clip of Russell War 89 because that was Body Sam's on this day, which for those who don't know, I don't think I've ever publicly said that I choose all of the on this days. So, of course, I would clip it if I had a clip. Uh, the commentary uh, is tremendous on that. I love I love the duo, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle. Um, sorry, Jim Ross is the GOAT. But, uh, yeah, follow me on social media. Follow Body Sam on social media. All social media platforms, Body Sam Net. We have a lot of really good podcasts. Uh, T and Tights, Andy and uh, Dan do terrific. Code of Honor, the... Uh, OC boys do a great job. The Jabroni podcast. Uh, I, I put a tweet out today going up and down our whole group of people on the Body Sam account. <laughs> and then I forgot some people and I felt bad. So let me go ahead and give those people plugs because I do feel bad that I left people out of those three tweets. The, um, the push people. Do a tremendous job. We need to give them a bigger push because they've earned it. Uh, Dom, who does, who did our first podcast with Cass, is terrific. Um, just in general, we have a lot of good people. Uh, Anissa Barr, somebody I forgot. She's starting to really get into our podcasting. And she has some really cool projects coming up that are seen to be announced. And you won't want to miss the project she's going to announce. So... Uh, good work to her too. Uh, I love our team. <laughs> I don't know why I'm pontificating right now. It's too sweet. Anyway, uh, you can buy Body Sam merch at Body Sam Net if you want to support some really good, sensational content creators like Rami, Corey, or anybody else at the side, or some pretty mediocre ones like the Jameis. My favorite. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> favorite. One thing before we end, I've always wanted to do this. What in the hell? See you next week. See you in hell. <laughs> uh, on that note. I nailed that, right? Let's ring the bell. <laughs>